told. All right. So that last recording starts. Yeah, so I would Yeah, so notice the unwholesome, see the unwholesome. Ah, congratulations. And then smile, take a deep breath, enjoy that, let that out, Uh and then acknowledge that as a success. Repeat. Now, I have a couple observations that I'd like to share with you. All right. Now, even though I have these observations, even though they have a, a little bit of a trace of doubt in them, I am still doing the practice. I am still staying on strong. I am still being a lion. I am still being the warrior on top of the hill with an axe and slaying (laughs) that dukkha and letting that axe come right back into my hands and looking at that dukkha and being satisfied with my throw. I am doing it every time. Now, um, Often enough, at least. Often enough, at least. And when I remember. So... What I've noticed, that's often enough. The observation that I've noticed is one one big observation is when I'm alone and things are quiet, it's much easier to stay steady with this practice and to keep seeing and to keep acknowledging that as success and keep doing that. But when I'm with people, I went with my girlfriend to the grocery store. I decided to, I just decided to play. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to be so concerned about doing the practice right. I'm just going to play. I'm just going to have fun with my girlfriend. You know, mm-hmm. it'll, it'll be there for me when it's ready, um, when I come back. But then I noticed I came back home, you know, I was, cu- you know, cutting the Brussels sprouts. And, you know, I'm introducing that whole thing now of, like, just having fun, just playing and, and not, um, you know, I'm, I'm not cooking. No, I'm just uh, cutting Brussels sprouts. I'm having fun. And uh, what I've noticed is um, I'll get... Well, one is sometimes I don't actually notice the thoughts that lead to frustration or anxiety. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were talking the other day. You said that it's not when you notice frustration, the thought that led to the frustration happened much sooner not, before not that. Well, like a tenth of a second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, they're pretty close together. Yeah. Like a little mm-hmm. mind moment. Um, and I've, I've started to see more of those. I've seen it was like, ah, okay, I kept myself from going into frustration. That's great. That's why it's so awesome to see this stuff because when you <laughs> see it, you don't, it doesn't go, you keep yourself from going into those spirals. So you're, you're, you're keeping yourself here and then going up, here and then going up. So it's like, a, like yeah. Um, but what I noticed is that when I start to get the process with yes. with wisdom and and observation, yes. okay, yes. Wisdom you're and using the word observation. That would be a, a a right, adequate, good enough word to have translated the Pali uh, samaditi. Okay, that observation. Mm. It's Looking. called right right observation. Right observation would oh. be also the right noble view, which is the eightfold noble path, is right observation, right looking. Hmm. So what I've you noticed that is... That word, observation, and by the way, the word ob has the same word as... Um, object. Optical, right, 
which has to do with vision of the eyes. Oh, optical. that's where the root of that's where the root and uh, um, so these words have have roots to them, <coughs> and that's why they came into the language was because it had that uh, aspect to it when that word started to become used in this frame of reference. So observation and investigation, uh, and look at that word vest investments. So an investigation is the same thing as the observation, just like you would want to investigate a company thoroughly before you invested your money into them. Right. So um, it's important that we recognize that, oh, that's what is actually uh, what the Buddha put on the Eightfold Noble Path as the number one item is keep looking, keep observing, keep looking and keep observing because the ob observation actually has a quality to it that I don't think that uh, uh, the Buddha knew about quite exactly, but he knew about it uh, experientially. Mm. And that what we're talking about now is kind of uh, what you would learn in the graduate course in a mathematics department uh, in statistics with gamma functions and all that kind of stuff and what they understand now scientifically and have uh, in fact this is the major issue about taking polls and the, the statement is um, that the observer always bastardizes his own data okay Hold that close for a minute. The observer always bastardizes his own data, means that the sampling that's done for, let us say, a political poll is always uh, influenced or modified by the selection of the telephone numbers or the street corner they're standing on or whatever it is that, that they're using. And so, uh, it's impossible to get any statistical information out of a website because the website is driving are the um, issues that the website manager cannot control. But this is why they call it a controlled experiment so that you can get better observations because here's a here's an easy one that I really love. This is one of my favorites. When a bird watcher is out watching birds, does he watch their actual normal uh, uh, ordinary behavior or does the bird watcher watch birds watching him? I'd say um, he watches their behavior. I would say that it's someplace in between, that the bird watcher can't go out there without uh, the birds knowing he's there. It's their home, it's their habitat. Can you imagine mm. someone coming right into your room, bedroom and sitting down? And Unless you you're look looking at them there? through the window or from afar and they can't tell. Right. Exactly, that's the whole point. That, <laughs> that's why we have to be careful about and also don't make conclusions very quickly 
because we need more evidence. We are always needing more evidence. There's never enough evidence. <coughs> that in fact, that's also something that's known quite well in court. That people get convicted for crimes left, right, and center because there wasn't enough evidence. Mm-hmm. Or people mm. go scot-free because there was not enough evidence. So are you saying that the way we process our observations or understand our observations is dependent on the way we look at them? Yes, and I'm also saying that as we observe our own behaviors, they begin to modify by the very observation of what's going on. Mm. Mm. Uh, things modify. Uh, a tip oh, so are you saying... Wait, wait, can I say this? Because I, I want to make sure I understand what you're saying. Are you saying that, like, so the bird in this case is our behavior and we're observing our behavior and once the bird or the behavior sees that we're observing it the behavior self-modifies because we're in we're in its room we're there looking right. at it so it well, starts let adjusting it, let us say let us say that that's a magical <coughs> or challenge view of it but yes that's what's happening yeah now right. the next point about it is is that, that the observation mind moment itself interrupts what would have normally been the sequence. The spiraling down is interrupted with the thought of, I see the spiraling down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The mere observation. Another analogy of that would be um, a weed that you somehow want to remove don't like this weed Mm -hmm. in fact it's a great big dandelion growing and every time uh, it's there you want to go grab it by the root and pull it up but you can't because it's in the crack of the sidewalk and the sidewalk is owned by the city and if you pull up their sidewalk in order to get the root out then you got a big expense and a lot of trouble and everything it's not really worth it to destroy the that store the surroundings or to store the environment just to get to the weed. However, if every time that weed puts up a shoot, if you see it and whack it off at the surface level, then the root system will not have any exposure, any energy, any sunlight at all, and therefore that root will wither and die. So all you need to do is whack that root four or five times maybe after a month or two, and then you don't have to whack it anymore because the roots not going to put up any more shoots. Wow. So how could it be? How could it be that our minds are function in the same way as roots of plants? <laughs> that, that's mind blowing. That's nuts. Like that's like, that's so psychedelic. Like that's nuts. Well, it's called life. And that's what we have in common. The same thing, okay, is with um, a tree. Let us say that we are building, um, are in the process of, of making a very, very strong bow. 
This is really primitive times, but what happens is that they will go and find a very long, straight, um, <coughs> perhaps shoot out of a tree. In fact, I've got one right here. It's already too big to do that because it's now two inches big. But if it's about an inch big or so, you can bend that long uh, limb has no uh, has no leaves, has no twigs, has nothing on it. It's just a straight piece. If you bend that and hold it for a minute and then turn it loose, it will go back to exactly the place that it was before. No, it doesn't. It's a micro inch or so keeping the bend. And so you bend it again and you bend it over and over and you keep bending it over and over, or perhaps even tie it down so that it begins to uh, take the natural shape. Mm. But basically, let us say that we keep bending it and keep bending it and keep bending it. And every time that we bend it 10 degrees, it'll pop back nine. Then we bend it 10 more degrees and it pops back nine. Mm. Pretty soon we've got it bent in a nice 15 degree arc. We had to bend it about 300 times to do that. <laughs> yeah. But when we're bending it the first couple of times, we don't see much change. So you can see the distinct or the um, the similarity in the root getting whacked mm-hmm. off and keep bending the limb. So it's interesting. Why is it? I mean, I don't know if you know this. I don't expect you to know this, but it's more of a rhetorical question. Why is it that we can see these things in front of us, like the way the limb of a tree bends and how if we bend it a certain degree, eventually it'll stay in that new shape, but we don't relate to ourselves that way. We don't relate to our minds that way. We don't relate to it like it has any kind of malleability like that. And yet still... We are mm-hmm. always, always trying to change ourselves, always trying to improve, always trying to improve the shape of our identity uh, or our character. Actually, both of those are contradictory lies that are told to us by our society. One of the lies that we're told is that you can't change. This is yeah. who you are. The fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. The leopard can't change his spots. Yeah. Boys will be boys. Kathy's just being Kathy. Listen to all of that kind of stuff in our language. Have you ever heard the phrase? People permission to continue to screw up. But have you ever heard the phrase, the more things change, the more they stay the same? Yes. Is that a lie too? No, that is more and more and more and more and more observation. That while we begin to see the changes, we see changes. But when we keep seeing those changes, we begin to see those changes in cycles. And then we begin to see that the cycles repeat themselves. Sometimes those cycles are slow. Sometimes those cycles happen in the mind within a second or two. But some cycles take three, four, five hundred years to complete. An example of that would be um, there's been several revolutions in knowledge. One was the invention of writing, and that is actually what they believe now is the cause of civilization. In other words, uh, if this farmer is raising this rice and this village is being fed by that rice, how do they account 
for what is what. So in order for you to build a society, you have to be able to track knowledge and tracking knowledge is, you know, they did it with mud pieces and uh, little sticks that they would poke into it. And it's called cuneiform writing. And they found out that over time it got quite sophisticated. So that's one revolution such that it actually created civilization. The second one, the Gutenberg press. Now we don't have to write it down by hand. We can mass produce the stuff and that caused a revolution. It was a hundred years war. It broke up uh, the Catholic Church. It reconfigured Europe and it was the start of at at that time the fleeing of Europe because of religious persecution because of those wars. And now we've got pilgrims. Okay, so that's the second revolution. The third revolution is the Internet. Because now all of that data has to be available. So, and we probably got a, a new one that's even uh, quicker. So, the, in this situation, it took literally hundreds of centuries for the first cycle. Then what, it what about? took about a, a, a one or two millennia for the second cycle. No, maybe five or six millennia for the second cycle. Then it only took 400 years for the third cycle. It may only take 10 years for the fourth cycle. We don't know what the future is going to be, but there's these cycles of everything. What about everything war? Those are also in cycles. It's like, though, but, you know, when we had World War One. I, I imagine there was some kind of effort to change. Oh, some do kind you know of how many wars that they had before that? World War uh, One came out of a war that was already in the Prussian War that was only 20 years before that. But don't you think wars could be avoided altogether? Certainly. If everyone, yeah. if everyone practiced the Dhamma, it would happen overnight. Uh, if everyone was practicing the Dhamma, the wars would have been over years ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but that's like, but what I'm saying is like, well, are there levels of change? Because what I'm thinking is, even though people didn't have the Dhamma, they wanted to change. They didn't want to have another war. I'm well, sure they, that there are people that didn't want to have another They war. did not like things. Yes. But wanting them to change then is an instinct to where the society has the, the issue of things stay the same. The authorities, this is what conservatism is all about, is trying to conserve the way things are because you like it versus progressives who want to make things change because they don't like the way things are. But it's interesting, though. Have you ever heard the thing, um, whatever you resist persists? Uh Uh-huh. Isn't that... A better one, one that's more closely correct, is, is that you draw to you the things that you're afraid of. How many examples of that do you want? All right. The postman who is afraid of the dogs is the guy that the most dogs bark at. The guy who is friendly with the dogs the dogs don't bark at him much. And the guy who ignores the dogs, the dogs ignore him. But if you're afraid of the dogs and you're on the dog's property and the dog is barking mad at you to get the heck off my property, 
the guy will freeze. I mean, this happens almost every day here with the motorbike guys delivering stuff into this neighborhood. And all the dogs in the neighborhood are out there ferociously barking, get off our property, get off our property. He is sitting there on his motorbike, afraid to move the motorbike because he thinks that when the motorbike starts and he starts watching where he's going, the dogs will bite him. Well, motorbikes are obviously faster than dogs. All you'd have to do is just drive off and he's free, but they don't. They will loiter around because they're afraid of the dogs. Not only that, but they approach the property gingerly and carefully because the dogs are there, ready to bark. And as soon as they see the fear, they react to it. Yeah, I mean, I'm afraid of my girlfriend cheating on me. And therefore she will. But she hasn't. Well, we don't know. She hasn't. It doesn't matter. Don't be afraid. It doesn't matter. Give her the freedom to be herself and she won't try to escape from you. But if you hold her tight, she'll find that uncomfortable. I know. And that is one of the hardest things that Mm -hmm. that I've been challenged by. Is uh is that I I do see like I do see how that could happen though how like things that I'm afraid of I draw to me. Mm-hmm. And now let's look at the other analogy: is is that the child is in his bedroom and he's having bears in his closet? How did the bears come into the closet? He invited him in. <laughs> oh no. Mm-hmm. Why did he invite him in? Because he's afraid of him. Or maybe it's that he is um, manufacturing the bears mentally in his mind to give himself some kind of understanding about why he's so afraid. Who are in fact little kids terrified when they're alone. If he was in bed with mommy and daddy and feeling all safe and secure and comfortable, maybe giggling himself to sleep as they're tickling him, then he's not going to be afraid. But if he's afraid, he's going to go find spooks and goblins to bring into his bedrooms. And now he's afraid of them. And now he's got a very valid excuse to go run into mommy and daddy's bedroom and say, there's a spook in the room. I need help. Because it's easier to be fixed in a pretended certainty of something rather Mm -hmm. than face the actual reality, which is uncertainty of it. Right. The uncertainty or the reality is, is that there is nothing to be afraid of. No, but we invite goblins in because if we do that, it justifies our thinking. Oh, if there's goblins here, then that must mean I'm okay in some level, but I'm actually afraid of the thing that I'm saying is making me okay, which it's a paradox. (laughs) Wow. Exactly. (laughs) And let us now go to the other point of it. Now the goblin has got your girlfriend. In your mind, that's the jealousy. 
And if you go to her to try to chase the goblin that's got her away, she's not going to like that very much. <laughs> yeah, and I'd rather she, I'd rather she might think want a that... goblin to stay for protection from you. <laughs> it's because I'm afraid I'm going to get hurt. I'd rather have evidence that she is cheating on me because if I have that evidence, then I can keep myself protected. Yes. Guess what? She can't hurt you. Yeah. You only you can hurt you. I don't quite see that one fully yet, but I I, I suppose how it would go. You got along without her before you met. You can get along without her now. Yeah. Okay. But if right. you think you can't get along without her, then you're in pain that she didn't cause. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. Okay. Now, there are boundaries. And the boundaries are that if you know what hurts you, you're not going to do that to other people. Because you know that that hurts them. Okay, and that part of our um, duty to the Dhamma is to stop spreading dukkha in and out. Right. Because any time we spread dukkha on the inside or on the outside is already because it's in the inside. Right. And right. if it's on the outside, it will uh, continue to fester on the inside. I totally, but, I got that one. I got that one real good. <laughs> yep. I got that one down pretty good. I've had that one okay. down for a while. <laughs> All right. So that then going back to the analogy of weed and the weed whacking is, is that when we start into jealousy, if we can catch that and whack it off, then we don't have to go down that rat hole that will eventually affect her in a negative way. And yeah. along the way, you're already affecting yourself negatively because you're looking for evidence. Yeah. It's unwholesome, it's period. Not, it's just unwholesome. It is. It really is. <laughs> so when it happens, I just, you know, she was talking to me about one of her guy friends she wants, wants to hang out with soon. And okay. they're talking about going to their house and we're getting rid of a scabies infestation. So she can't do it yet. But when she does, she, you know, she said like my, my, my tailor is like, you're Jeremy. My friend is Jeremy. And like, they're buds like that. And I, I said, Hey, you know, I understand you being out in public with guys, but going to his house, that weirds me out a little. And she explained it to me. And I knew though, I knew before I even said anything that it was unwholesome which is good. I knew that it was jealousy. I knew that it was fear. Excellent. I knew that it was untrust. Next time you can, oh, you can see it enough to where you don't have to open your mouth and spew it out to see it. Yeah. I don't have to say anything. Yeah. And she assured uh -huh. me she's really great. We're both kind of in the Dhamma. So, you know, she's like really great about it. So I'm, I'm pretty lucky. You know? You're lucky because some women would have had a gun out. Yeah, which that's interesting, right? I mean, I don't know. What's so scary about it? If she came to me and was afraid I was cheating on someone, I would just assure her, like, no, it's okay. Because, um, uh, let us say, emotionally, 
our, um, let us say, adult sexual partner of the opposite sex fulfills the role that the parent of the opposite sex did for us. This is what gives rise to things like Oedipus complex and, and um, um, uh, Electra complexes and all of this kind of stuff. But basically, every man wants his wife to be his mommy. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that one too, for sure. <laughs> I've seen that a lot. Almost, she feeds into it too. We're kind of, we're kind of doing it like an experiment, actually. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah. And if both of you know about this instinct and are, uh, let us say, dealing with it wisely, then it is of enormous benefit. Mm. So, how do you deal so, with it wisely? Play well, with it. Yes, play with it and congratulate her for every motherly thing she does. Every meal yeah. she cooks, all the laundry, any and everything yeah. you do. Tell her how <laughs> much you enjoy that. Yeah. Like, like I call her sometimes. <laughs> and she'll be like, Mama got the groceries. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, Mama. And she's like, Papa. <laughs> it's like, it's cute. It's funny. It's not only cute, but it's instinctual. And that you also know that in many, many of the Western societies with the various English language, that's a very common occurrence is for the husband to start calling uh, his wife the same name that the children call her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which is generally mom or ma or mammy or... Uh, yeah. Ma, you know, there's uh, a mayor. Funny how all of them um, have that M sound, regardless of what language it is. Mm. 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 Which is the kind of yeah. sound that a child makes when it's sucking. That's interesting because it's not the same for um, uh, dad. Because there's dad, there's father, there's papa. Pa. Well, look at that F-P-H-P combination throughout all of the languages. That same sound. Papa and father are the same word mm. if you go back into town time far enough. Mm. And interesting enough, even into Chinese, which is not an Indo-European uh, collective of languages still have pa and me. Mm. Mm. And when I say those words, you know which one is which. It's clear. It's that yeah. M and that yeah. P sound. Yeah. Okay, so, and we then <laughs> apply those words to our mate because of that connection that cross-connection of sexuality that we learn as infants, or as own, in fact, it's so deeply learned, it is part of the DNA. Mm. And so by knowing that, we can manipulate it correctly, and if we don't know about it, then we have things like pride and jealousy <laughs> and competition and all kinds of stuff between a pair, whether than mutual cooperation, role-filling. I missed that. Sorry. I said that um, 
that if we understand that deep wired connection, if we understand that deep wired connection that we're talking about between uh, the little boy and his mommy or the little girl and her daddy and the cross connections with family, then because we know that wisely, we can use those roles to help establish the community or the family. Mm. And if we don't understand those roles, which young uh, people coming into sexuality don't, then they will see peers, they will see um, siblings and have civil sibling rivalry between uh, lovers, competition, uh, jealousies, that kind of stuff. When we don't see it wisely. Oh, I own my mommy. How dare her go have a boyfriend or a sibling? Okay. Now, here's an example of this. And in fact, I've already told this story recently, just a group of several that the call wasn't recorded. But since we're going down this um, alley, let's say this. Imagine that you have a fairly large monkey troop of any variety of monkeys you hear to imagine from baboons to lings to all kinds of things um gibbons never mind it's a large monkey troop and generally monkey troops like pride of lions will have uh or even uh wolves will have an alpha the leader of the pack right there is going to be one of the big monkeys that's in that group and here's the question when that big monkey is in the vicinity of the uh the group the whole crowd that has maybe 20 25 monkeys in it how much sex hanky panky is going on in front of him generally the answer is none because he's the boss and he does not like <coughs> missing around any of the females hmm. and he's the boss and he's in charge and this pack is mine now are these uh, group of monkeys going to behave differently if he's not there? If he goes off on a hunt or gets chased away by the gorillas or uh, the lions or whatever, and now you have a troop of monkeys, 20 of them, with some young males and a whole bunch of things to happen now. Probably. I think Probably so. Probably a whole lot of hanky-panky. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's human society. We're still monkeys living in a monkey group. And part of the power that the um, head monkey has is called religion now. Humans have a different tool. Or the government. Or the government. (laughs) 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 But all it is is just the old monkey that's mad because he wants to run the show. Yeah, I know. It's ridiculous. That's human society, though. All right. So now imagine that you're just one of the young monkeys. And you are there friends with one of the females, but there's another young monkey that wants to be friends with her. And you might have to wait in line. But she'll get around to you. She likes what she's doing. And the big monkey is not there. But humans carry that big monkey around in their mind. Oh, what if the big monkey comes back and catches us? 
or another one is in the mind of that uh, young monkey. I am that big monkey. Mm. In fact, all the young monkeys want to become the big monkey so that they can get all of it and nobody else get in it. Greed. So, exactly. Precisely so. Greed for getting more and more of what you like best. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, in that regard, most human behavior is exactly the same behavior as you see with um, uh, monkey troops. With the addition is, is that we've just got more garbage to carry around, just trying to modify our behaviors. And this is what the Buddha calls the Silabhata Paramasa, or our set of rules that we carry around. And one of the rules in our society is monogamy. But monogamy is not part of our nature. It's part of that parent ego state. It's part of the control. But it can be a preference, though, no? Well, let us say this, that when two are able, then in our in our human case, wisely, or maybe by happenstance, we fulfill each other's needs. And she becomes mama and he becomes papa and they are mutually together and that they merge together. This is also well known that people who have relationships that last very, very long time, all the families around will congratulate them. I mean, it's quite rare to see a 60th wedding anniversary. Yeah, good point. Everybody's real impressed with that. Okay. Now, one thing about those old relationships is that the people that are those relationships are so close together in mindset and even body types, et cetera, that it's hard to tell them apart. Yeah. Yeah. They're almost like twins. And do you think that process, um, do you think that process can happen? Just by osmosis, by being yes, together with the person by for a long time? Or you can add the key ingredients with wisdom to know to make that actually happen. Mm. Oh. Well, even if the other person isn't doing that? Well, they will fall into line with it over time. Oh, that's wonderful. Just like that, <laughs> just like that limb in one's own mind will bend if you keep saying this over and over and over to someone. Okay. Now, let's take it to the absurd level. Have you ever heard of Adolf Hitler? Have you ever heard of his book, Mein Kopf? No. That he wrote while he was in prison? No, not his book, no. Okay, the book, Mein Kopf, is actually the uh, German for my struggle. <clears throat> And in there, he maps out how he's going to take over Germany. It's actually a prescription for what he did after he got out of prison that caused the Third Reich. This is the recipe for the Third Reich. And in there, he is writing about what we now know as the word propaganda. And what propaganda is, is that if you tell a lie, even if that lie is well understood by everyone who hears it, including the liar himself, is a lie. Still, you keep repeating that lie over and over and over again, and it gets some familiarity, and then the people begin to operate with that, with the, uh, as if that lie was true, even though they know it's a lie. 
and then later is that my spreads and uh, it gets keeping repeated over and over and we've gotten used to it. We don't even care whether it's true or not. It's part of the routine. It's now called tradition. <laughs> That's our whole world. <laughs> That's our whole world. What does everyone say when it gets close to Friday? Oh, it's <laughs> all Friday! Friday's oh, just weekend. another holiday. <laughs> <laughs> just another moment. <laughs> just another, exactly. And I feel like I've, I, I see this, I see it all the time, and I see it so much that when, like, no, I'm not, I, I see people saying that, but I, I see the lie. And when people say, Oh man, at least it's Friday or happy Friday. Uh, TGIF, they call it. <laughs> yeah. There's this, I'll be honest, there's this sense of disgust. There's this sense of like, ugh, stop it. Stop it. We it, Today can be just as good. This can be just as great. But uh -huh. I, but I noticed that I think it's also arrogance too, Domrado, because it's like me in my high chamber. Oh, look at me. I can see the lies and you can't. <laughs> ah, but now uh, the next question is, can you see the arrogance? I can. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what we're talking about. I here. see the, to observe all of this stuff. They're like, they're like two on. sides. They're like the, they're like two sides of the same hand. Exactly. So if you cannot see the arrogance, it spirals up or down. And if you can see it, you can see the arrogance, then you can take the arrogant edge off of it. But one yes, of the things the arrogant edge. I've been noticing that lately. I actually noticed it today. I saw I discerned. I was like, well, wait a minute. That's arrogant. Okay, unwholesome. And then as soon as I saw it, I whacked the, the weed off. I could see, well, wait a minute. I could see how I could say this in a way that would be useful. I could see how maybe this could, like my seeing could actually be useful. Huh. Okay. So it's mm -hmm. like, I'm starting to like actually be almost kind of like double headed about right. it. Right. Now in our language, words like aloof and especially arrogance have a negative connotation to them. They do. Yeah. All right. They do. Guess what? For the Buddha, they don't. Let me explain this to you just a little bit so that you can see what's going on. In fact, let's start with. That's good because I got a lot of that. <laughs> I feel like okay. I got a lot of it. All right. I, I don't let's... say it as much, but it's in my behavior and it's in my mm -hmm. it's in my mind. So okay. So let's look at words like lokatara. <laughs> okay. Lokatara in the Pali actually means above the world or out of this location. And Jesus had the saying of be in the world, but not of, of, uh, of the world. And he also talked about Abba a lot, which Abba means above or above the world. Now, above the world, if you go really nuts with Christianity, is way off into outer space where you got a big dude sitting on a great big ivory throne with a great big long beard and a trident and other things like that. But wait a minute, that's Olympias with, and Zeus. That's not the Christian God. But in fact, the word Abba uh, is translated um, wrongly as father. But we can see that uh, an abbot of a, of a monastery means the guy who's above it all. Okay, so we're looking at it from the perspective of rather than being in it, we can draw back, get above it so that we can take a look at what's going on. 
So that has that quality of aloofness is the drawing back, getting out of it. Okay. But you can almost see it with the uh, uh, the analogy of the expression uh, is the nose in the air. Hmm. I'm above that. I don't want I, that. That stinks and I don't want to put my nose in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's what we do. We, we would draw from it. Now, when we begin to look at that quality, we can say, wait a minute, that's kind of natural in a way. And it also has wholesome elements in it. And then when we begin to look further and more closely at the Eightfold Noble Path, like through this observation that we've been talking about, continuously looking, continuously remembering to pay attention, to look at what's going on, then we begin to to develop the feeling of, I'm above that. That can't hurt me. We begin to feel like uh, we have security because we're above those thoughts that are dangerous. Okay. Okay. Now, okay. But, so the nose up in the air is like assuring safety, assuring protection uh-huh. from the the smell, and then once you keep assuring yourself, you 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 begin to just see. Oh well, I don't need to assure myself anymore. I'm above uh, that. I'm above that. Right. So this is what we would then call right noble attitude or samasankapa. Or another way of saying it in English would be right noble attitude that has right noble thought system. Or right, in other words, your attitude about any topic will then determine your thoughts about that topic. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so mm-hmm. we're talking about a thought system now. I'm starting to see that too, actually. Starting to see oh. that too, like when my girlfriend, if she, um, it could be something even much simpler than that. It can be if I'm, um, let's say I'm on a work call and I'm seeing the content people are talking about today. Uh, well, today's not a good example, but some days my manager will post like a motivational video on YouTube mm-hmm. and it'll contain all this you know, this, this fluffy flowery motivation stuff, you know, about like reaching for your goals and striving harder and this and that. And well, (laughs) very typical Western, um, you you know, you you know, so I have my, you know, uh, to Mm. you, sir, (laughs) I have my (laughs) nose up in the air and, uh, I, I can see, though, I can see that it also guides my thought process toward the people that I'm with in an unwholesome direction and kind mm-hmm. of, you know, so I do see that it, it shapes the thoughts. Yes, exactly. So our attitude shapes our thoughts. And so if our um, thoughts then repeated wholesomely over and over again, get us to feel in a certain way and we continue to feel that way over and over again, then that begins to affect our attitude. And now that that attitude is being affected, now that attitude affects the thoughts. And so that's a kind of a cycle that we're Mm, in. mm -hmm. And it's called a positive feedback loop. But you can also see that people are in a negative feedback loop often because the thoughts that they have of fear give them the attitude that they can't handle it. And because they can't handle it, they're going to continue to have thoughts of, of what about isms. That is, that has been my whole life. <laughs> Guess what? 
that's the human being's natural way of doing things. Or let yeah. us say, no, not natural. The cycling is the natural part. Which cycle that we go for is what we call normal. The normal way of doing the natural thing. You said how that happened. So after uh, feeling. so But it starts at the thought, right? It so you notice the, the thought. thought. You notice the thought, then you start. To, so, if you're oh lucky, man, you notice it. so you recondition. Sharp, you notice it. Yeah. So you 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 notice the thought. You recondition the thought, which then reconditions the feelings, which then reconditions the attitude. Exactly, and the attitude that we develop then is the attitude that what the uh, there are two words that I have seen in print about the Buddha, one more common than the other, and that is he's referred to as a lion. Yeah, the lion's roar, the lion's or, or Sparta, a warrior. A war. Well, okay, a warrior. <laughs> except that the war, there is no war. What no do war. you have with? There's no war. <laughs> That's really the the uh, the warrior is that is the guy who has no war. You see, yeah. a a warrior that has war does not have um, uh, safety and security. He has fearlessness instead. He's got bravery. Mm-hmm. We don't need bravery. We need to look again to recognize there's no war here, folks. <laughs> mm. I do think um, the warrior analogy is something that helps me, though, right now. Uh-huh. At it least does. a little. Yeah. Yes, because you still think that there is something to be afraid of that needs to be slain. Once you've figured out that you've already slain all the dragons. Right, right. Then you can just rest comfortably knowing that you can't slay any dragon that comes by. Okay, so it's okay for me to enjoy this warrior state. Yes, that's part of the that's part of the growing up of the Sama Sankapa. Uh, The growing up of it is is that you see the victim is persecuted by the dragons. The warrior is fighting back and learning that he can conquer those dragons. The old master then is not afraid of dragons because they're all gone. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so you said the victim is conquered by the dragons. Yeah. The warrior okay. is, is, is out to conquer the dragons. Right. Uh-huh. And then the master... and knowing that he can, and dra- they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. All right. Now, when the dragons are all dead, that means that the lion has conquered. The other analogy that the uh, uh, is referred to the uh, to the Buddha is that he was a bull. Is a what? A bull. Oh, a bull. A bull. Okay. Um, and that uh, we can think of then as uh, two kinds of bulls that they have in uh, India at that time. One is the Brahma bull, a cow, and the Brahma bulls with those big horns and that big hump on their back and they're really, really um, heavy-duty guys. The other kind of bull is normally referred to as a bull elephant, and that's the one that the Buddha actually worked with. And so when they call him a bull, it's like he's a big bull elephant with great big gonads. All right. That uh, when uh, do you know the story of the ten blind men 
that go to inspect the elephant. And after each one inspects part of the elephant, they come back and argue with each other. Oh, the elephant's like a fan because he touched his ears. Or no, an elephant is like a tree trunk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or another one is like um, uh, uh, a big brush because he feels the tail. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the funny part is, is in that whole group of 10, nobody held the gonads. The Huave. <laughs> is that the balls? <laughs> That's it, right? The big, big balls that that bull elephant has. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so what they're really referring to is is that a Buddha has balls. He is he is not uh, at all afraid of anything. He is not afraid of criticism. Yeah, yeah. So been there, done that. So he it's can go so right. He, okay, so now we yeah. have a Buddha that is filling the job or the filling the Western word of <laughs> arrogant. But it's done in a really positive way now. Mm-hmm. Rather than a prideful, I'm a, I'm a victim pretending to be a bull elephant, which is what most arrogance is. So when I'm wonder, so when I'm like looking at people, you know, that are on my team and stuff at work and they're like, Hey, Friday's almost here. Or they're like, Oh man, these people, they, they never pick up. Why do they pick up their phone if they say they're busy and it's not a good time. And I'm like, uh-huh. Oh, complaint Oh, resignation Oh, They, they're living a lie. Uh-huh. These things that are going on in my head. Is that the prideful arrogance that you speak of? Ah, we can go one step further, and that is, if I can observe this kind of stuff in other people, can I observe it also in my own self? That we're all in this soup together here. So, when you see other people acting in what uh, a wise man would see is an ordinary, ridiculous way, then he can just join them in that party and gaiety, but he's got the knowledge. He's got the truth. That's how he it is. Knows. That's yeah. how it is. Yes. That's how I see it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so that means then because we can observe this stuff the way that it is, it changes the situation. And in fact, Wednesday, you can walk in someday and say, thank God it's Wednesday. Yay, it's a Wednesday. And everybody looks at you. And then when it happens on Friday, you can say, yeah, today's Friday, just like it was Wednesday. And then they might begin to wake up. I see. I see. I, so I understand, but I, I'm curious. So is the answer to my question yes, then? The way I said it, like the comments in my mind, those are, that's prideful arrogance. Well, you have to investigate that to see. That's well, it look it job. seems like it seems prideful arrogance to me. Here's what All it is. Right. It's it's but the it truth. Will I can change. see the truth. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can see the truth. I can see clearly, but it's it's filtered by prideful arrogance. Okay. And that prideful arrogance has a seed of fear underneath it. Oh no. There's going to be the disaster simply because these people are joyful that it's Friday when I know that Friday is just another day. Rather than the reality is, is that, hey, isn't it marvelous? They are having a bit of fun and they're blaming it on Friday. But we know that it's not Friday. It's that they decided that it's okay to be cheerful because the rules say that it's okay to be cheerful on Friday. 
And so you can go along to get along, but you do it wisely and happily because you know that that's where the people are. But like I said, you next time you can do it on Wednesday, you can go in and uh, TGIW. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, so the observation I wanted to share with you in the very beginning here is that when I start to get some success and uh -huh. am congratulating myself, um, there's, there's two things that happen. One is um, I'll start like, and it's just a thought. I know it's just a thought and it shouldn't be treated any different than any other dukkha. And I, I talked about that with Dan, but it does seem like a more convincing layer, even though I know it's not, I just want to share the observation. The observation is <laughs> the observation is, Oh, I, there, there's some like, I'm feeling good, but how did I do that? There's something else I need to do here. And then I'm like, well, there's nothing else I really need to do. I'm just going to take a breath and enjoy that. But it's still, there still seems to be like this, I guess you could like doubt that creeps in. That's like, no, I got to, there's something I got to do. Like, mm -hmm. like it'll fall apart. The momentum that I have now, it'll fall apart or like, mm -hmm. you know, it's unstable. Like things like well, that will happen. Yeah. So congratulations for seeing that so that you don't have to spiral down into that. Here you are climbing up and you're getting yourself up. And then what if isms come in and you start spiraling back down? Catch that. Observe that. Just like you were telling me the story, that means you've already started to observe it. If you don't observe it, then you will fall down. But if you can't observe it, you can say, hey, there I go again with those doubts. I don't have, really have to do anything except feel good. Yeah, except it or or just like sometimes it's like, well, sometimes it's like, OK, I'll take a breath. But uh -huh. when I'm taking a breath, sometimes it feels like I'm just doing that so that I can get myself away <laughs> so that I can stay away <laughs> from the dukkha. Like I'm trying to stay away rather than just be firmly planted here in confidence and calmness and peace. It's more like, oh, shit, I got to get away. You know uh -huh. what I mean? Yes. So that feeling of has a thought of all things are somehow dangerous and I've got to get away from it. So yeah. part of the attitude of the line is I don't care if it's dangerous or not. I can handle it. Oh, and also that would just be another thought that you would say, oh, I see you trying to get away from imaginary danger or from danger uh -huh. that I think is real. OK, I'll just a breath and enjoy this or i'll just uh, right. this Your moment choice. is good enough this uh -huh. moment is good enough it's good enough exactly yeah. and so every time that you have that new thought this moment is good enough is very much like whacking that weed coming out uh, yeah. of the crack in the cement yeah and i'm starting to notice too that sometimes this moment is good enough is mm, synonymous with the experience of enjoying the breath it can be the same. It could be like, hmm, this like it's like, I don't know how to explain it, but it's kind of like this, like, oh, this is enjoyable. This is quite enjoyable here. Mm -hmm. Whether I'm breathing, whether I'm consciously, mindfully breathing or not, this can be, this is enjoyable. This is enjoyable. It keeps you alive. Can you imagine how you'd feel like if you, if you stopped for whatever reason for 20 seconds even of breathing? Now I can get my... I think you might have missed Red what down. I said. 
Okay. No. I think you might have missed what I said. What I was. Okay. No. Go ahead. What I was saying is that I'm seeing sometimes how that I can just say I'm enjoying this moment. Mm -hmm. This moment is good enough as it is. That that experience of enjoying this moment as it is is synonymous or similar to the experience of enjoying the breath. Right. Okay. So that means that now you're actually taking a new breath of a thought. Breath of a thought. Yeah. The breath of the thought, the breath itself is enjoying the actual breath that you're taking because it's life-giving. Now you can also enjoy the thought that you're having because it's wholesome life-giving. Mm -hmm. As opposed to thoughts of danger and life-taking away. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And I'm wondering so also if there's life giving. Yeah, and I'm wondering if there's this whole thing going on where it doesn't necessarily have to do like the breath and the wholesome thought is like a trigger for that sensation of joy that is already that is already there. That is already always there perhaps mm -hmm. that it's not the breath or the thought that causes the joy it's the breath or the thought that trigger me to realize the joy that's already uh, there yes. that triggering process is what we call sati oh <laughs> cool <laughs> that's right. the triggering or uh nlp right. they called it an anchor or a oh. trigger. Okay. Huh. So, it, and, and sometimes it can come like in, in sparks. It's like, whereas in the beginning, after I like, I've been in a ditch for a couple days and then I start again, uh -huh. it's like, it's like, it's, it takes, it takes some time, you know, I'm running on the treadmill. It takes some time to get my heart going. But after I start doing it more, I can just take a breath for like a second and it's like, whew, it's like a spark of like, whoa, joy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or if I say this moment is good enough, it's like, whoa, it is good enough. It is good enough. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's amazing that we actually have that much control over our own mind in the moment. Yeah. That's the that's the spark of or the beginning of or the uh, the skill development of the lion. The attitude. That I can handle anything. Can handle any chrism, can handle any Friday, can handle any ridiculous thing I see people doing. You know, another uh, um, observation I have is that when I start to get some success, there's a there's lots of really, really good feelings that mm -hmm. start. And it's like, whoa, this actually feels really good. And then I get really, really into it. And then a couple moments later, it's gone. Mm -hmm. It's gone. And that is when the thought, oh no, what do I need to do? But that's just that's just handled skillfully, right? So it's just, mm -hmm. oh, there's nothing I need to do. It's just, oh. a, a, I'm just going to take a breath right now. Just, this moment's good enough. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Exactly. So, so what is happening? Am I coming up against clinging 
are craving no, for it to stay the same. Unwholesome thoughts. You're permanence. coming up against unwholesome thoughts. There you are feeling good, and all of a sudden you have an unwholesome thought out of your old pattern. The question is, how quickly are you going to be able to catch those unwholesome thoughts as they Wait, seep in? So you're saying that's all that's happening? Because mm -hmm. when I'm when I'm feeling good and it and it gets really really good. I was telling you what happens is it it's then gone. You're saying it doesn't mm -hmm. just go? No. It's no. there's an unwholesome you talk yourself thought. out of right. You talk yourself out of the good feelings. Instead of talking yourself back into being in the good feelings. That so you somehow talk begin to talk yourself out. Let us say that you're really, really feeling good and the phone rings. That's enough to pull most people out of it. Oh no, what's the phone? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Or I could see one is I, I think a thought that I might have when it gets really good is I can't believe this or like this isn't right. This isn't right or this is it, weird. Uh -huh. This is not. This is not uh, uh, long lasting. I can't do this forever. All of those right. kind of thoughts. Right. Right. That, that's this unwholesome. Shall, mm -hmm, and that's unwholesome thoughts. Why are they unwholesome? Is because they're the hindrance that are hindering you from that good state that you were in just a second ago. But then again, isn't the nature of things to just arise and pass away, though, too? Absolutely. Like and it's also your uh, nature to not see those arises and passes away. And because of that, there's a whole lot more arising that you're not seeing and passing away, but you wind up feeling bad. So if you're beginning to observe those thoughts as they arise and pass away, then you can choose, oh, I don't have to think like that. I don't have to say that. Just like the story that, you know, about uh, that the text message comes in from the boss. Oh, we've got COVID. You have another day off. You can either say whippy. I've got another day <laughs> off, or oh no, I've got work to do. Mm. One's a dangerous thought, another one is a whippy thought. Mm. Cool. Yeah, I've noticed it like when I when I'm sending emails, I don't I don't want to send an email. I'm like, ah, uh -huh. ah you you want something different. Okay. Uh -huh. Unwholesome. I, I see you. That's all right. Congratulations. Take a breath that this moment's good enough. This is what I'm doing right now. This, this mm -hmm. moment's good enough. Yeah. Good en this moment is good enough. Yeah. Now, that's a very wholesome thought. This moment is good enough. It's satisfying. Yeah. It's satisfactory. And there's a certain amount of feeling uh, success with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what we're looking for is that feeling of success that we get because when the moment is not good enough, we're victim to it. We're feeling like faders. This is not good enough. But when yeah. we have the thought this moment is good enough, it not only is satisfying, it feels successful also. Yeah. And that yeah. feeling of success then in the poly, that's what is the practice of building the skill of pity, the elation. Mm. Oh, this feels so good. Okay. Why is that? Because we recognize that feeling of success. Okay. And, cool. And it's very satisfying. 
So the job then is to keep watching those thoughts that pull us out of the good states that we were finally able to get ourselves into. Yeah. So that we can learn to sustain this. So another way of talking about it is to say that we to uh, guard the mind, just like we uh, talk about guarding the breath. Guarding the breath to make sure that it's a long, wholesome, deep in-breath and long, wholesome, deep out-breath. By guarding the breath like that, we're also developing the skill of guarding so that when then we can guard the mind to make sure that no crap is coming in. And so we begin to guard the mind. And when we guard the mind, this is what the Buddha also refers to as sustained thought. So we apply the mind to the wholesome over and over and over again. And once we get the mind in that uh, state of feeling, uh, wow, this is wonderful. Now we have to guard the mind to keep in that state. Rather than getting pulled out of it with these thoughts of this can't last or you're not good enough to feel this good. Hmm. Or uh, you're going to have to pay for this one or all of those other kind of thoughts that we have. But in fact, the Buddha was going through that too. He could, in at one point, he recognized that he could not tell the difference between sensual pleasures, the pleasures of the senses, going to the brothel, getting drunk, going out for a big meal, uh, hoochie-coochie dancers, all of that kind of stuff, with the pleasures of just sitting there in the mind and having joy. Now, what happens when we can't tell the difference is because when we're going out to the brothel, we know it's dangerous. We know that something really bad can happen here, but I want something so bad, I'm willing to go into dangerous territory to get it. So when we do that with our own mind, we have that same kind of mentality that this is dangerous in here. I can't possibly feel this good without having some disaster to happen. But no, we can, in fact, have real good pleasure within one's own mind without harming or going into any dangerous situations at all. And that's what develops the lion's attitude of I can do this without repercussions. I can do this. Okay, so now we're talking about the three P's that is part of transaction analysis, protection, permission and potency. So the ability to feel good is the building of the power, the potency. But then I was just talking about uh, the protection that we have to protect ourselves from having to pay for how good we feel. We have to have protection from it. What is the protection? Getting rid of the unwholesome thoughts that that we that are dangerous. And then there's the other part, which is the permission. I can't feel this good. I don't deserve it. It doesn't belong to me. I've got to go do a whole lot of work. I've got to go meditate for 30 years before I can take a good breath. I've got to work here. Okay, this is the whole concept within our society that is referred to as delayed gratification. You don't get paid Today, you got to work today. You'll get paid later. You got to wait for payday. 
which may never come. But you got to keep working today in order to get paid on payday, even though payday may not ever come. Okay, so this is the delayed gratification, and we live our whole lives out right. Okay, go to first grade, kid, learn your one, two, three, learn your ABCs. Why should I do that? So I can learn, so you can learn to read. Well, why should I learn to read? So you can get intelligent. Why should I get intelligent? So you can pass the test. Why should I pass the test? So you can graduate. Why should I graduate? So you can get a job. Why should I get a job? So you can eat. <laughs> well, I've been eating my whole life. Why do I have to do all of this stuff and work for years so I can eat? <laughs> when I can not any eating. <laughs> wow, that's truly absurd. <laughs> that's the delayed gratification. So what I'm teaching you here is, is that you have permission to feel good right now without any preconditions. I believe you it. Don't, you <laughs> don't have to jump over those hoops that you have set up in your mind that you got to jump all over those hoops before you can feel good. Yeah. So now is the three P's you've got. You've got permission, protection, and potency. Make sure that you do have permission and you do have the protection. And then, wow, you've got the power. You're already developing the power now. I've got the power. power. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I've got the power sun and song in that uh, uh, acid rock high frequency male tone of voice. Is that arrogant? No. No, okay, but is it close to arrogant? Yeah. Yeah, it could be actually be seen by some as arrogant. Mm -hmm. Instead of just a, a joyful outburst of energy. Yeah, I look at it, it's like a grace that we give ourselves. Mm hmm That's another word for it, grace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Grace and congratulations are close together. Yeah. All right, Tom Arado. Well, I'm going to go. such a great talk. I really enjoyed it. This <laughs> I really, I mean, I, this gives me so much pleasure to watch students grow like this. This is so entertaining. Uh, Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's been great for me as well. Um, yeah, I just enjoy success, satisfaction. I'm ready to go. Absolutely. Excellent. Are you ready to stay? I'm ready to stay. Stay. <laughs> stay, go, go, stay. That we'll go on that one later. <laughs> yeah. Well, no matter what, no matter if there's going or staying, I can handle it. <laughs> exactly the case. Yes. All right. I'll talk to you later. See you later. Okay. Bye. Bye bye.